Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse number 1. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. And so... This is part three of this lesson that I've entitled A Time of War. And uh, we've been dealing with it. And uh, each Thursday night, I've gotten up here and said I was going to teach. In fact, last week, I said it's going to be different than the week before because I'm going to teach tonight. And then some preacher that was listening online had to razz me about claiming I was going to teach because I didn't. But I'm planning to teach tonight. And uh, maybe because of the mood and the way things have gone, I'll actually get to do that. And I'll get this out of my system tonight, maybe. But the war's not over. The war's not over. And it is a time of war. And if you haven't yet experienced it, which I think many of you have, but if you haven't, just hang on. Because the devil's going to attack everybody in some way. He's going to hit in some way. If it's not physically, it might be financially. If it's not financially, it might be in your family. If it's not in your family, it might be on your job. If it's not on your job, it might be with a neighbor. You, you just never know. But I promise you, he's going to stir up something. Because it's time for war. It's just a time of war, and we've got to realize that, and we've got to go to war. And so let's put our Bibles down. Let's pray one more time. Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. We need the touch of God here tonight. Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name praise God amen amen God bless you you may be seated now because time is so limited tonight I am not going to go back and do any review because time is limited and because I know if I get started on the review that's all the further we'll get again so we're just going to go to the heart of the matter tonight. And um, we are going to cut to the chase. Something I've been wanting to say for each of these weeks now. As we've talked about war, the first thing that we have to know is 
when that time of war is. We've got to know that so we can be prepared and so that we can fight. But there is something else that we need to know. We need to know clearly who our enemy is. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. The Bible tells us that. Now, it would have helped me if I could get a few more amens tonight. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. So our enemy is not, I mentioned all of these things that can come against us, but our enemy is not our family member. It's not our co-worker. It's not our boss. Certainly not your brother or sister in the church. Definitely not your pastor. That's not our enemy. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. We're fighting against principalities and powers. We're fighting against spirits. We have to know our enemy. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We are not ignorant of his devices. Can I say that we should not only not be ignorant of how he attacks, but we should not be ignorant of who is attacking. How can you fight if you don't know who your enemy is? Well, and interestingly, and I alluded to this at the conclusion of the first week of this lesson. I alluded to this, but interestingly, you know, all of this has been based on Old Testament typology. It's all been based upon the story, really, of the conquest of Canaan, and going in and taking the land of promise, right? 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 So, so that's what it's been based on. And, and interestingly, the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy was uh, the, the last book that Moses wrote. And it was written at the end of the 40 years. And, and the very name, Deuteros, Namas, it is, it's two Greek words put together that means second law. And that's what it is. It is a retelling of the law because now you've got all of these that the only ones that are still alive who came out of Egypt is Moses, Joshua, Canaan, uh, 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 Caleb. And, and that's it. Uh, unless they were 20 years or younger. And so most of those that are there have not heard the law. And Moses needed them to hear it again. But my point is this. This is at that moment when the wandering is over and the conquest is about to begin. And Moses knows, as I've said, taking the promised land is not a type of heaven. 
It's a type of getting in the church. Because when they went into the promised land, they didn't live happily ever after. It was one battle after another. And Moses knew that. He was well aware of what was going on. And he knew the real battle is about to start. And so one of the things that Moses did in his in his attempt to prepare them for what was coming was to identify for them who their main enemy was going to be. Now, he didn't list everybody, but he listed the main ones. And, and interestingly, he listed seven. And if you were here when we talked about the seven churches, you understand the significance of that number. It is, it is the number of completion. It is, it is that number of fullness. God created the world in seven days. Everything was done in seven days. And that number seven is the number of completion and fullness. And, and so when he listed seven churches, as I told you, he did that because I believe that in those seven, he could have picked any number. There were many more churches than seven across Asia Minor. But he specifically chose seven to write these letters to because I believe that in those seven, you put them together, you find the picture of a perfect church. If you'll fight against the things he condemned in those seven churches... And you'll strive for the things that he commended in those seven churches. Then you'll be able to reach a place where you are a perfect and complete church. And I think the same thing is true when Moses sat down and said, Here are seven nations you need to be aware of. These are seven enemies you're going to encounter. In this conquest of Canaan. Is everybody with me tonight? So Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse number 1. We find this list. And I want you just to mark this in your Bible. Turn there in your Bible. I'm not going to have them keep putting it on the wall. So if you'll just have it in your Bible. Where you can look down at it and see. We're going to take these in the order Moses lists them. And we're going to talk about each of these enemies for the remaining 19 minutes plus. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 1 says this. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. Yeah, somehow he did not list the Chiggerbites. <laughs> he just scratched that one. <laughs> Dear God, help me. I, should we just dismiss and go home now? To our guests, our services are not like this. I promise you, they're not. They're not. We're just, I don't know. Pray for me when I get home tonight. Uh, 
My wife is always so sweet and tells me what a wonderful job I do, but she's a very honest woman. I'm not going to be hearing about how wonderful this is tonight. <laughs> I'm ending all the travel right here tonight. No, this is the home church. Oh, no, no, no. We can, we can remove this one from the Internet. We can, we can scrub this one. All right, so I figured that the golden voice of, of the apostolic movement, since I only had him one more night, I'd give him a verse and let him struggle through all these names. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And then he says, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. encouraging but Moses was an honest man and if he said that they were nations greater and mightier then they were and I'm going to tell you what this did or at least what I believe it was intended to do it's kind of like when things really started exploding in Africa and my work over there, I, I, I'm, I was constantly having to deal with things and deal with, with preachers. And, and I mean, and I had all kinds of things going on here at home and, and, and I was getting all these invitations to preach and, and then it just seemed like Africa just, just exploded with revival. And I called Bishop Howard, and we were talking about it. And I said, Bishop, I, I feel like, I feel like I am in over my head. And he was so encouraging. He said, you are. <laughs> but he said, that's where God wants you to be. Because when you know you're in over your head, you know you can't fix this. Only God can. So he didn't give you something that you knew you could fix on your own. He gave you something that was bigger than you. So you'd trust in him. And I think that's what Moses had in mind. In fact, we will put the scripture back up there just one more time because I want you to see what he said. Now, he said that these seven nations are greater and mightier than you are. But look at what he said in the beginning. When the Lord thy God shall bring you into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations. He already told them God's going to cast them out. They're greater than you are. They're mightier than you are. But they're not greater and mightier than God is. And God's going to overthrow them. He's going to use you to do it. But never forget, you're not big enough to do it on your own. You're not strong 
enough to do it on your own. These nations are greater and they're mightier than you and the only reason you're going to get victory is because you trust in God to give you that victory. So I'm telling you tonight and as I go through this list of seven I'm not telling you that you're stronger than this. And don't let the devil tell you you're stronger than these. Because that's what he wants you to believe. He wants you to believe you're tough enough to fight it on your own. But the smartest and wisest thing you can do is to recognize I can't defeat this enemy on my own. I can't think my way out of it. I can't talk my way out of it. I can't work my way out of it. The only way I'm going to overcome this enemy is by the help of God. Is anybody hearing me tonight? This is our only hope. This is our only hope. We got to rely on God. We got to trust in God. And so let me try, let me try very quickly to get through these seven as quickly as I can. The first one that he mentioned in this list, if you got your Bible open as I ask you to, the first nation that he mentions are the Hittites. Now, now let me just just throw this in because so many times we think, you know, the, the enemies of Israel were the Philistines. But, but look, the Philistines were just one group that lived in that land. The land of Canaan at that time was made up of many different city-states. That's the only way I can describe it to you. Each city was its own separate little nation. Had its own king. Had its own government. And the Philistines were just one group that lived along the seacoast of the Mediterranean Sea. And so when you read about them going into the land of the Philistines, then you understand they were going over towards the seacoast. The Valley of Elah, where David fought Goliath, was right on the border of the land of the Philistines. All right, so... And interestingly, the Philistines are not even mentioned in this list. So so don't think that every enemy of Israel was a Philistine. They weren't. Here are seven nations that Moses said were greater and mightier than the Israelites. And that's saying something. Because they were a mighty army to be to be reckoned with at this point. Some say a million and a half to two million people. They had a, they had a strong army. But Moses said these nations are greater and mightier than you are. The first one was the Hittites. The Hittites were the descendants of Heth. Heth 
he, we don't have to go into who he was and all, but here's the important thing that I want, the analogy I want to bring tonight. Heth, his name means terror. Terror. These are the descendants of terror. I want to tell you that fear is one of our greatest enemies. Now, I'm preaching to the truth church tonight that it's a time of war. And I want you to understand that one of the enemies we're going to fight is the enemy of fear. going to be afraid. You're going to be afraid. I can't witness. I can't teach Bible studies. Or maybe the service is locked up and you're afraid of what somebody's going to think of you if you start worshiping. I'm here to tell you we got to bring the Hittites down. Can I tell you there'll be times you come to the church to pray and you start hearing noises. And all of it. Can I get a witness? All of a sudden, you think, oh, I got chills. The devil's in this place. I'm getting out of here. That's exactly what he wants you to do. He wants you to not pray. He wants you to not make that sacrifice. You decide to go talk to somebody about God and about the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden, the devil puts things in your mind. You can't talk to them. They're not going to accept you. The Lord lays it on your heart to go knock on a door and the devil wants you paralyzed with fear. I'm going to tell you, the Hittites are greater and mightier than you. But thank God for verses like 2 Timothy 1 and 7. For God hath not God given us... doesn't give us a spirit of fear. But of power. But of power. And of love. And of, love and of, a, sound and of mind. a sound mind. I'm telling you, we may not be greater than fear, but God is greater than fear. And he can overcome the Hittites for us. First John 4, 18, I got to hurry. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love. Perfect love. Casteth out fear. Where does perfect love come from? Hallelujah. God is love. Love is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost. Perfect love casts out that nation of the Hittites. That's how we're going to get rid of them. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. I've got to hurry. I've got to hurry. I don't have much time. I'm going to do this really quickly tonight. So the Hittites. God hasn't given us fear. That's from the devil. The second nation mentioned were the Girgashites. The Girgashites. Now, this Hebrew word means dwelling on clay soil. Dwelling on clay soil. In other words, they're not built on a solid foundation. And, and, and we could spend a lot of time dealing with that, but I, I really, just a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, I dealt with the need for a solid foundation. So I don't want to spend a lot of time there but I'm just telling you, this is one of the reasons why we, are, we have declared this as a year of depth. Because we don't want to be shallow Christians. 
We got to go deep enough to build upon the rock. And can I tell you, when you build on the sand, when you build on the soil, the Bible says that's foolish to do. But I want to tell you tonight before I move on that there is something else we need to be concerned about with these Girgashites. Not only our own depth, but I want to warn you tonight about others who don't have the solid foundation. Because the Girgashites were not Israelites. They were a foreign nation. And I think one of the greatest problems that apostolics can have is developing close relationships with people who don't have a strong foundation. I want you to win them. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to pay close attention to when they are affecting you rather than you affecting them. And when they start dragging you down and they start pulling you down, then there's a problem. It's time to separate yourself. It's time to, to do something about them. You don't want the Girgashites to claim victory over you. Second Corinthians, I got to go through this fast. Second Corinthians 6 and 14. Be not unequally don't yoked be together. unequally yoked. Together with, with unbelievers. For what fellowship, for what fellowship hath righteousness, righteousness with unrighteousness? And what, what communion hath light with darkness? darkness? What does 1 Corinthians 15, 33 say? Be not deceived. Be not deceived. Evil communications. Evil communications. Corrupt good, corrupt good manners. Let me read this to you from another translation. It says, don't fool yourselves. Bad friends will destroy you. friends will destroy you when the majority of your friends are not good solid apostolics it's time to take stock you're making friends with the enemy you're building relationships with Gergeshites and they don't want you in the kingdom of God. I don't care how much they say they love you. I don't care how long they've been your friend. When the moment comes that you declare I'm a one God, Jesus name, tongue-talking apostolic, they are Gergeshites and they will destroy you. The third nation that Moses mentioned were the Amorites. The Amorites. And their name comes from a Hebrew word that means to boast or to act proudly. Strong's goes on to say that the sense of the word is seeking prominence or publicity. They're talking about a spirit of pride. It's the enemy of the church. It's the enemy of revival. When pride starts gripping our hearts, church, we're on our way down. I said when pride starts getting a hold of us, we are on our way down. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
it's a guarantee in God's economy that when you get too proud, you will be brought down. What was it that destroyed the devil when there wasn't a devil to tempt him? It was pride that brought him down and that changed him from heaven's worship leader to the enemy of God. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though Ham join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Everyone. Everyone. Now, this is interesting because the Bible doesn't just say that pride is an abomination, though it is. But the Bible says everyone, the individual that becomes proud in his heart, that individual becomes an abomination to God. Look, I don't want to commit an abomination, but I sure don't want to become an abomination. So many scriptures I could give you, but, but just as a reminder, pride is number one on God's list of the true seven deadly sins. Let's read it, Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. A proud. Did you notice this is number one on God's list? Yes, sir. There are six things God really hates. There are seven things that are especially abominable to him. And the first one on the list is a proud look. Right. Don't ever forget that God resists the proud. He resists the proud. I've got to move on. So you've got, you've got the Amorites or pride. Then there are the Canaanites. The Canaanites. And this is another misnomer, that, that, a mistake that a lot of people make. A lot of people think, well, all of Israel's enemies were Canaanites because they were taking the land of Canaan. But no, Canaanites were just one particular group of people that lived throughout that land. Canaanites, their, their name means merchant or trader, but it actually comes from a root word which means to humiliate. One author said this, said they were, the Canaanites were financial giants. They were motivated by greed and a lust for the accumulation of earthly and material wealth. And can I just say this tonight and move on? But what, what, what Paul wrote centuries ago is still true in 2023, 1 Timothy 6 and 10. For the love of money is the, the root. The love of money. Is the root of all evil. Is the root of all evil. May God help us that we don't fall in love with money. Or that we don't let money come between us and God. Let me tell you something that will stop revival. When somebody gets it in their head, a member of the church gets it in their head, I can't afford to tithe. You just put money before God. You just allowed the Canaanites to have their stronghold. Hallelujah. 
We've got to bring the Canaanites down. Then there are the Perizzites. Perizzites. All right, it's 902. I'm, I'm, I'm getting close. How many have we covered so far? I don't even know, but I'm getting close. That's four, right? We got three more, is that right? We got three more. So, so, so I'm getting close. I'm getting close. Be patient. We're over halfway. The Perizzites, this name means village dwellers. But a village, that may not mean much to you, but, but you see, a village was an unwalled small town. It was a place that had no borders, no protection. We've been teaching on Tuesday night before I got into this little mini-series on war. We were teaching on the importance of holiness standards and how they are the wall that protects us. So if we're talking about unwalled towns, what are we talking about? I'm going to tell you one of the dangers, one of the enemies of revival for this church is when somebody gets it in their mind and their heart that they don't have to live this way. They don't have to abide by holiness standards. That it's not for them. It doesn't apply to them. The devil will put that in your heart and your mind. But listen, these walls our, uh, are our protection. Hebrews 12 and 14. I've got to hurry. Hebrews 12 and 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. No man's going to see God without it. The parasites, the unwalled villages, the lack of holiness is an enemy to revive. Number six, the Hivites. Now, the Hivites, their, their name also, believe it or not, refers to dwelling in villages. So we can't really draw much from their name, but, but one man began to write about the Hivites, and he said that these Hivites claim to offer a good lifestyle. If, if we could take today's vernacular and apply it to the Hivites, uh, we would say that their motto would be, if it feels good, do it. Don't worry about what somebody else thinks. Just look out for number one. I want to tell you the Hivites represent lawlessness. Rebellion, if you please. It's been an enemy of the church. For as long as there's been a church. And it's certainly a spirit we've had to fight around here. Time and time and time again. And so I was not surprised when I started digging into the seven major nations that Israel had to conquer to find out that one of them represented rebellion. Let's get 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse number 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. I want to tell you, rebellion is not, not necessarily just against spiritual authority. But young people can develop an attitude of rebellion against their parents. 
Employees can develop a spirit of rebellion against their employers. Wives can develop a spirit of rebellion against their husbands. So I will get a compliment tonight after all. <laughs> it's getting a little heavy in here. It's getting a little heavy. Rebellion is the enemy of God's people. It's the enemy of God's people. And I might point out to you that when Samuel referred to Saul's rebellion, do you know that his rebellion was not that he went totally against what he was told. It's just he didn't do everything he was told. D did you hear what I said? It's not that Saul went against what Samuel told him. It's just he didn't do everything Samuel told him. Samuel said destroy all of the Amalekites. But Saul chose to only destroy some of them. And God saw that as rebellion. To just not do everything. So let's read that verse again. For rebellion is what? Is as the sin of witchcraft. Now witchcraft is one of the abominations that you'll find. One of the things that makes God sick, he hates it so much. And now the prophet Samuel tells us that rebellion is just as hated by God. In fact, when there was a rebellion among the Israelites, God did a new thing opened up the earth and swallowed Korah. I mean, they went straight into hell. They didn't die and go there. They went there alive. And then the next day, some of the people started feeling sorry for them. And God sent a plague and destroyed them. This kind of gives us an idea how strongly God feels about rebellion. God wants his people to have an attitude of submission and obedience. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And what? And stubbornness. You know, it's amazing because there are many good, good saints that would never think of being rebellious. But stubbornness. It's a little different, isn't it? And you know, if anything really sums up looking out for number one, like the Hivites, it would be stubbornness. This is what I want. This is the way I want to do it. That's Hivites. All right, and then number seven. I really am coming to a close. Number seven. The last one mentioned were the Jebusites. Now this is interesting because the Jebusites were those who lived in Jabus. Do you know what Jabus is? Anybody? Nobody knows what Jabus is? Jabus was another name for what David would later call Jerusalem. 
the Jebusites were those who dwelled in what would become Jerusalem, the capital of the nation of Israel. So this was major. And, and you know, David, as a young man, as a giant killer, just a teenager, when he slew Goliath, he took Goliath's head and went running to the city of Jabus and held the head of Goliath up, saying to the Jebusites, one day, we're taking this city. Now, it's interesting that for all of those many years, Joshua died, the judges died, Saul, the first king, died, and Moses had written way back there hundreds of years before, you're going to throw the Jebusites out, but nobody did. Nobody. Until David got there. David was the first one to finally determine we're going to take this city. Now, I wish I had more time to go into this because David felt so strongly about it. David offered a huge reward to anybody that could find a way in. They mocked David. The, the, the Jebusites mocked him and said, you know, the lame and, and the blind can keep you out of here. You're not, you're not taking this city. It was a mighty fortress and a, a real stronghold. And David said to his men, I got a big reward for anybody. You'll become the captain of my army. I'm going to promote you to five-star general if you'll find a way to take this. And they did. And Jerusalem is Israel's capital today. Because they conquered the Jebusites. But it took them a long time to get it conquered. 9-12. But it's the last one. The Jebusites were people who exploited and polluted others through immoral activities. The Jebusites represent a spirit of immorality. Can I tell you something? We got to conquer that spirit. It will kill a revival it will shut a church down. A spirit of immorality, when it sticks its head up, young people, get your passions under control. Don't get on the internet and look at things you shouldn't be looking at because that spirit will destroy a church and it'll destroy your life. It's one of the most wicked spirits out there because it doesn't stop. It, 
it, it goes from just sexual perversion until it becomes violent. It is so destructive. You can't afford even a moment of that kind of pleasure because it's a spirit. Can I say this? I know we're in mixed company. I know we got young people and kids here. But can I say it? Married couples protect that area of your life. Look, I don't know why I shouldn't be able to deal with it. The Apostle Paul dealt with it in writing to an entire church. And he made it plain, don't defraud one another. Writing to a whole church. You make sure that area of your life is secure. You hear me? I'll teach a whole lesson on it at some point in this holiness series because it's a part of it. But I'm just telling you now, we've got to make sure we cast out the Jebusites. We cannot allow them to have a stronghold in this assembly. And the only way they'll get a stronghold in this assembly is if they get a stronghold in somebody's life that's sitting in this assembly. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to you as your pastor right now. I'm telling you what these seven deadly nations are and the last one that's got to be conquered before we really have a claim on what God wants us to have. We got to bring down the Jebusites. All right, musicians come because I've got to close. I do have 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 to 20. While the musicians are coming, 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 20. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that which he has joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I'm telling you, sensuality, fornication, adultery will destroy us. With the help of God, we've got to destroy those spirits. Now, I'm closing, I'm closing this lesson and this little mini-series by again reminding you of the Old Testament typology. Because I told you it's a time of war. But I have a word for the truth church tonight as I come to a close on this lesson. Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 to 30. And they told him and said, we came unto the land whither thou sent us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. This is the voice of the men who went and spied the land. And they said, yes, there's a revival to be had. Great. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. But the people are strong that dwell there. 
And the cities are walled and very great. cities are walled and they're great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. There's some giants there. The Amalekites dwelt in the land of the south. Uh Uh-huh. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. Uh Uh-huh. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once. listen, so they heard... Number one, they heard there's a revival. Number two, they heard there's an enemy. But it doesn't end there. There is a third declaration to be made. And this is what I want to declare to us tonight. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at Let once. Let us go at once. And possess it. And possess it. For we are well because able. Because we are well. To overcome it. To overcome it. Not by our might. Not by our power. Yes, we've heard the promises of great revival. We've had man after man stand behind this pulpit and talk to us about the open door. The promises are there. I've now spent three weeks telling you it's wartime. I've identified the enemy. But I want to close out tonight with this. Let's go up now and let's possess the land because with God's help, we are well able to overcome every enemy. We can bring down every one of those seven nations. We can overcome every enemy that's out there. God has the power to deliver us. Let's go now. Let's not wait any longer. Let's take it while we can. Oh, let's lift our hands and love the Lord. Let's worship God. Let's worship God. Let's worship God.